Esports is one of the fastest growing industries in the world. And this is the podcast where we talk all things branding, marketing, sponsorship, and events. I'm Rebecca Langawa, founder of Happy Warrior, and I'm an esports brand builder and strategist. Join me as I discuss the world of marketing and esports with some of the top experts in the industry. Welcome to the future marketing in esports. Hi, and welcome to the future of marketing in esports. I'm your host, Rebecca Langawa, and with me today, I have Alex Huff. Alex is an inventor and a tech entrepreneur and has actually been called a wizard entrepreneur by uh, people he's worked with in the past. Uh, Right now, Alex is the chief technology officer and co-founder of Fanticipate. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks for having me. How are you today? I'm great. So Fanticipate, what an awesome word. Tell me about Fanticipate, where that word comes from, and really what this piece of technology is is all about. No, it's, yeah, thank you. And I'm glad you like it. Uh, we like it too. And it, you know, it was one of those things where we weren't sure what the name was going to be. And so you go through those exhausting sessions trying to cross-reference domain names with what the name should be. But we really got to the core of what it is. And so the technology is a platform, really it's an auction platform, but it is is the premier, which is also to say it's the only platform that allows for pre-event auctions and in-event auctions. Now we do the post-event auctions. If you think of memorabilia as a sector, we do what you'd see on eBay if, if someone wants to sell Tom Brady's cleats from a game or something like that. But we do it in a different way where fans can get engaged and literally be involved in the game because they've already won those cleats while he's playing in the Super Bowl. And so it gets the fans, not just the ones that win, but even the ones who competed for it to just experience the game in a whole new way where they they literally feel they have a vested interest in us being both Minnesotans. We think back to that Minneapolis miracle. And if if you would have owned Steph, Stefan Diggs gloves before he caught that pass and won that game and you'd be part of history. And so it, it does more than just what an auction platform is typically made to do, which is I'm a Uber fan. And so I can bid $6 million on a Mike Trout baseball card. Okay, great. But this is different because it, it adds components that are, it's both for in, engagement of the fan, but it's also, there's a speculation to it. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not going to go for the highest price, the biggest star, but this is a big game and that rookie could have his coming out moment. And I would, I could literally be a part of that. And so it comes back to just creating a, a literal physical experience connection between the fan and the athlete. And so really what it is, it's about fans first and foremost, and in their relationship with their idols, but it's also about participation. That's the big difference. And so if you smash those two together, you get Fanticipate. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really cool concept coming from having a background working for a professional sports team. We always have access as a team to to certain items and having players sign them and almost having an, an entire collection of things that as a team you want to monetize specifically for your charitable 
Mm -hmm. arm of the organization. Most teams have foundations. When I first talked to you about this technology, what got me really excited about it was really that tie-in of being in-house at a pro sports team, being in charge of that charitable arm and thinking about ways to not just have just like a, a static online collection of specific things that have been, you know, signed and put in a closet for a few months, but being able to tie something to that live auction, like during the actual event, I think is really powerful because then you're right. You're like taking those moments, what athlete, what player is going to have that big play or even thinking about going into some type of finals or championship series where you have limited edition type things that the entire team could sign. You're really, what changes is owning that piece of history, which we know those are the things of the highest value, but like anticipating and really feeling it's almost like, it's almost like taking sports betting yes, because you're really thinking and trying to predict who's going to, who's going to be the winner of something or who's going to have the biggest moment. And then trying to anticipate or predict who that's going to be and then wagering what your bid is based on that. You guys did, you guys did a really cool thing with the Kentucky Derby utilizing your platform. Can you tell me a little bit about how that kind of came to fruition and the success of that? I will. I'd actually like to comment on on, on your last statement because I just think your take on it is spot on. But I think what's been interesting to me because Intuitively, I've known that and I've seen there's two scenarios, right? Either either the team sells the item in the team store and the proceeds go to charity, or the team hands the jersey to the nonprofit. It sits on the shelf for another year until the annual event, and then there's a silent auction. That's how the world works today. What surprised me when we did this was that when you put those two things together, it becomes totally different because A, You've got, you've got different constituencies. So you've got the nonprofit who has their donors. They're the people that have supported this organization oftentimes for many years. You've got big donors and small donors. And it's an opportunity for them to market this as instead of just giving us a, do- a donation and getting a thank you letter, you're getting something that, again, all of the points that you made, it's a piece of history, it's something you can show for your donation, and you still get the same tax benefits from that. And then the other, and then when you think about combining that with the team store concept, now you've got the price being driven up, so the charity benefits more, because you've got the hardcore collectors, you've got the Uber sports fans, you've got nonprofit donors competing for these same items. And it's going for a good cause. So putting them together has been a, a catalyst that's just been incredible to watch. And as much as I'd like to say I saw that coming, I, it was something that we really experienced real time where we're, when we looked back at who the winners were and why they won the items, I mean, it was a pretty even mix. We had you know, some, in the case of the Kentucky Derby, and I'll use that to segue, we had some people that were the super horse fan, horse racing fans. And they won four or five different items. But the biggest items, the most expensive winning bids were actually coming from the nonprofit people. They were there. Yes. So, you know, they're all of the 
charities were related to the sports. So there was, you know, somewhat of a crossover, mm-hmm. but they were there to donate to that charity. They weren't necessarily picky about which item they got, but then they got into the game and went the game of bidding and said, Hey, I guess if I'm going to bid and I'm going to donate, I'm going to donate more. And I want the most sought after item. So to use that as a segue, I started this company in June and, 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 and I'm talking like initial discussions in June. And we set a big, hairy, audacious goal of we're going to do this for the Kentucky Derby. My co-founders had patented this a number of years ago, and it had literally just sat on the shelf. And there were a number of things happening in the in the space in the world. You could even could even relate it back to a little bit of COVID, where all of a sudden fans aren't in the stands, so there's less there's even less personal experience behind it. So the time just was right, and so we just sprinted. <laughs> for about two and a half months until the Kentucky Derby in September. And I will tell you, we were about two weeks out and we still didn't know if we were going to have items from all the horses and all the jockeys and all the competitors. And then it just started all coming together. And it it turned out where not only was it hugely successful, every item sold. Some of the, I think the top selling item was a halter for 2,700 bucks for the favorite, which was Tis the Law. And the funny thing is, the horse that actually won's halter went for 900 bucks. So back to that speculation thing and back to one of the comments I wanted to make from your last comment. I want to be very clear, this is not gambling. It's like gambling, but it's not gambling. <laughs> right. So, so I think there was that. And part of it too was just people recognizing the concept. Because I think anytime I've, I've been in, multiple startups. And the hardest thing is always getting people to understand why it's different or why they need it or what what's unique about it. And with this, we ended up being like the featured article in Forbes for the day before and the day of the Derby. We ended up getting some social media attention from people with millions of followers. And actually, ironically, Darren Ravel was one of the people who tweeted about it. And he's a sports gambling guy. It's like gambling, not gambling. But right. he, he, well, saw, he saw he saw the connection that you saw. It's, the excitement is I'm very charitable. I go to a lot of events, traditionally go to a lot of events. Being at like a gala, doing the silent auction before the show, it's just like the same kind of cadence, right? You come in, you grab a cocktail, you walk through room after room or long hallways of tables, and you're looking at things that you can bid on and registered for an app and you're being notified of your bids going up or down. But then you sit down, you have dinner, there's a program. Then many of these have these, the the live auctions. Those are the, the biggest prizes. And it's almost the excitement in the room of the, the live show aspect of the auction that it, it is, you get stuck, sucked into it. And, yeah. and there's a lot of that really fun energy. And I think as human beings, it's our nature to be competitive. What I feel like is this kind of carries that same type of an energy of that almost like a live auction event in in a room of people, but everything is digital and it's while something immersive is already happening. And what I really, what I, this is the future of marketing and in esports and you guys have not crossed that bridge yet, but when we first had our conversation about this, because you're a serial entrepreneur, and we've had conversations for years about things that you're developing and building, and we'll get to that later. But when we were just ideating around the potential of what this could do 
in gaming and esports. It just blows my mind. It, it blows my mind. And, and I know that this platform is going to be part of the future of marketing in the esports and, and gaming industry. That market, the memorabilia market is almost non-existent right now in esports. Right. And you're right. The way the world is now, like you're coming into your time mm-hmm. with this because mm-hmm. we're everyone wants to be a part of the action. The reason why you go to a live basketball game or football game is to feel that energy or feel like you are connected some way to what's happening on the field or on the court. Now you bridge that gap. You can do that with this. You can sit on your couch because it's where you have to be to watch a game now. You could sit on your couch with, the, with mm-hmm. your laptop out or your phone out with the app and kind of follow follow along how the game is going and watch your bid, watch your item with this total sense of anticipation of are they going to make the play? And it's just so cool. I think there's so many ways then to take this into the esports space. What are your goals there when it comes to gaming and and esports? What opportunities do you see this being successful in that market? Oh, I I think there's a number. And I will tell you, we made our mad sprint to do that first event and we've done one since. But since then, I think we've actually shifted our focus away from more traditional sports to esports. And we have an event that we're not yet announcing, but coming up pretty soon, that will be our first foray into esports. This almost goes back to me as an entrepreneur. When I look at the opportunity, I look at some of these traditional sports and the entrenched relationships that you've got to compete with. And, it, and it's, a, it's an interesting dilemma because nobody's really defined what we do. So there are exclusive contracts for memorabilia, but they don't fit into these categories, but it's still navigating around. And of course, if you're the company that has that exclusive contract, you're making an argument that this is covered in that contract. And so there are, there are more barriers to entry and it's not that we can't work around those in traditional sports, but those don't exist in esports. And you also look at esports. I look at esports in terms of where it is in its life cycle. Mm-hmm. In a, in a, and it's not an infant, it's a newborn. It's, uh, we've got some signs that it's incredibly lucrative. We know how big the industry is. We know how many people are watching at any given moment. And the numbers are huge. But it's, it, to me, it's like, if I'm going to enter into a market right now, and I'm Amazon or anybody else, I don't want to enter the e-commerce market in 2020, I want to enter the e-commerce market in 1995. And so I look at, we're probably in the esports world, to use the analogy, in probably 1997. So it's not too late. And especially what we've got doesn't exist out there. So some of the things that we're doing to take advantage of that is, is A, reaching out around some of the esports events so that we can do that. Uh, there's often a charity component to that. So we're going to see that dynamic play out as well, where it's people that even though there's not an established memorabilia market in the space, there are people that are supporting that nonprofit. There are people that are super fans. There are all of those things. And even there's, a, I think there's even an opportunity around the sponsorships of a company or a brand that's going to an esports athlete. One of the ways, it's almost like you saw in crowdfunding. If you look at a crowdfunding perk list, it's $1 for emails, $10 for the item, whatever. But then it's 
there's a $10,000 level, which people do just to get the attention because they want to be investors or they want to be uh, partners or they want to be something like that. And I see this as an opportunity to say, hey, if I buy that item from that up and coming gamer, then I've got their attention and I've got, I've got an, the ability to figure out how I can make my brand part of what they're doing. And, and the other thing that I think is encouraging about it too is even though there are things that are embedded, say, in Twitch as a good example, you can buy a t-shirt on Twitch, you can buy different items or and, and even things like Patreon where there are subscription-based things for exclusive content. You know, All of those things are all over the place. And there's nothing like this that's out there where you can just imagine you're watching your favorite streamer and they've got 14 kills. And so now you're bidding. And then all of a sudden now they've got 22 kills and the record is 26. So you're all of a sudden you're in the game. You're realizing the results as they're happening and you're able to own a piece of that historic run. And that's, it's true with other sports as well, but in the esports especially, there usually is a physical or tangible thing that you take away from it. You're just, you're watching on a screen, but you don't have a connection beyond what's happening in the chat room and social media and those things to cross that boundary and really help the esports competitors find new revenue streams, find ways to support their charities or their foundations, and to just build their brand by engaging fans. I think that's the big thing. And, and even though you couldn't be on more opposite ends of the spectrum when you talk horse racing and esports, we saw some of that happen where even the people who didn't win watched that event in a whole new way. They were about to bid on that really expensive halter that ended up coming in second, or they should have bid more on that horse that won. Same thing's going to happen here. Yeah, we, we bid on that race. And who won that? I can't remember what his name was. Authentic was the horse. Authentic. That we were literally on a boat in the middle of Lake Minnetonka and we decided to throw money at that event. And we chose authentic to win only because it was like a cool, we liked the name, right? Like yeah. of course. we didn't, we didn't put a ton of money in, but then afterwards when that horse won, we were like, we should have put, you always do that in your mind, right? We should have put a thousand dollars in like we ever would have done that. But like you <laughs> play that, yeah. you play the number game in your head, Yeah, which I'm sure that, the individual who won that harness, that you know, authentic harness, and paid the nine hundred versus who they thought was going to win, paying two or three times that much for it. Yeah, that must just be a super exciting moment. But also, then they're cash positive. They come out having something that they could even resell on a resale market that has even higher amount of value. And you've mentioned something about up and coming streamers and up and coming gamers and the esports side. What's interesting about this is right now, there's a lot of streamers that are rising in popularity. They are signing, they get a lot of stuff sent to them from different brands or brand partners, and they'll sign it and they do these giveaways just to grow their fan base. If that kind of shifted when there was an additional layer with what your team does at Anticipate to say, okay, we're actually going to do a fundraiser for a charity partner or for our own foundation right on our stream. And we're going to sign, um, this is the actual controller. I'm going to, I'm going to be in this scrim today against another big name. And the controller that I'm using, I'm going to, I'm going to sign and bid before the thing is happening. Like just Mm -hmm. something that simple, because it doesn't take 
it doesn't take a lot of legwork. I think that is where I get really excited thinking about it. And then on the team side as well, because I'm working with a Call of Duty team and a Rocket League team, and we're putting events together. And we want our fans to be hyper involved leading up to the event and then watching the event. And this is a really great way to entice fans to really have skin in the game and get involved. What I'd love for you to share is if I'm the streamer or I'm the team, how does that, what's the lift? What do I need to do? What, what's the power of this platform? What, what is that going to feel like for me? Yeah, And maybe I can ask for a little clarification. We're talking about what does it take for you to get going? Yeah. What's that process like? Because I, I know that there are a lot of, a lot of the listeners of this show are trying to, they're thinking about to, how can they evolve their marketing strategies in esports? What is it? Is this a piece of technology that really makes sense for them? I'd love yeah. for you to share a little bit about what's yeah. that process. Yeah, and it's all very—it's all very simple. You just basically you sign up for a Fantasipate account, and then you become a seller. And and actually, I w- I want to use this to bring it back to something you said before about the fans themselves being able to resell the items. And we have a really unique opportunity inside of that because we're really the only system that knows that athlete, that competitor actually sold the item. The owns it now. So if you won the item and I want to pretend that I won the item and try to sell it and sell a, a forgery, I can't do it. We know you own it. So the only person that can sell that item is Rebecca. And so that sort of explains how everybody is a seller. Even if you're a buyer, if you're a bidder, if you're a winner, you're a seller too. And we can track it all the way back to where it was originally purchased. But from the competitor standpoint, all you need to do is sign up for an account, list the items that you want to sell, Depending on whether if it's an organized event, then the start and the end time is set for you and all of the items end at the same time. If it's a in-event thing, even if a streamer was going to say, hey, I'm going to stream Friday night and I'm going to be on with these other three players and I'm going to I'm going to offer that controller you mentioned, then they can set that it starts at the beginning of the stream and it ends at the end of the stream. So the bidding happens all at the same time. And I think you know, the thing that has also been interesting for me to observe about this is it really, you mentioned the competition piece, mm-hmm. and it really is competition for the people who are passively watching someone else compete. We all like to be there in the big game when they win and stuff like that, but it's still a passive experience. Here, you're getting to compete with other fans while you're watching someone else compete around something you love. And right. so, once you list an item, pretty much everything is on autopilot. The bids come in, the people are communicated when they're outbid, they can set up auto bidding for a maximum amount. And then once there's a winner established, especially if it's before the event or the game, then as soon as the game is over, the seller basically just goes on to the same page that they were that the bids were happening on and sees a little box that says print shipping label. And so they print the shipping label and they send it if it's physical or they confirm that it's been delivered and the buyer verifies that if it's a, a digital item or if it was a, a good that was handed off. It really is pretty easy and we're, we're trying to make that even easier and more engaging by doing things like the Twitch extension and, and allowing streamers or any, any athlete to be able to embed that right into their stream while you're, you're watching the game and you're seeing the bids come in simultaneously. 
Yeah, that's brilliant. I, I love the idea to have it integrated with, with Twitter or another streaming platform, because as we know, that's where the, the energy is. So being able to just have that completely integrated instead of trying to have two kind of things going at the same time, I think it's going to be really powerful. So I want to learn more about your background. Have you always wanted to be an innovator and an entrepreneur? I think so. I'm the cliche. I, I went to college at a strange time. And it was a time when pretty much colleges were the only places that had internet and students could dial in or go to the computer lab. And at the same time, I was studying marketing and computer science. And so you'd go to your computer science class and learn about technology that's 30 years old that you'll probably never use. And then you'd spend, and then you'd spend your nights teaching yourself HTML to build a website. And, that, and I got very interested in just the technology part. My background is really in the programming and the engineering side of it. And that grew into a business completely accidentally. My first business was because I had a, a business law professor that had known I had worked for the university and helped build their website and asked me if I could do it for his law firm. Wow. And he said, hey, I'll make you a deal. <laughs> I'll help you set up a business and then you can do my website. And, and I went, sounds good. I, and I really, I was a dumb third year college kid. And I thought if nothing else it might be a fun little summer job or something like that. And I'll go back in the fall and it accidentally went really well and I never went back. And since then, you, you go through sort of different stages of an entrepreneur. Someone that just starts a business, especially like that one, it's not very entrepreneurial. It's more of a small business opportunity. You build for your hours and you do whatever, but then you realize, okay, you have ability, especially if you have an, any, a unique idea and a business opportunity to raise capital. And throughout my career, I've raised money for a number of different companies, some of which have been very successful and, and I've been able to exit on. Others that failed miserably, and I probably learned more from them than I did the ones that were successful. And since then, it's actually gotten much easier because it's like with Fanticipate, as, as much as I, I've written some patents and I've invented some companies and I've built some what I think is pretty novel technology. But here was a case where a couple of guys that had these patents but had no idea how to build the system went, hey, I know a guy. And that call came in and I said, okay, let me dig in. Let me evaluate it as if I'm an investor, because A, I, I, I invested in the company, but B, I also invested my time, and that's much more valuable. And so I, I'm not going to invest my time in something that I don't think has potential, both to be a global brand, but also to have some sort of exit or return on investment over time. So that's been my background. And, and I love everything that I've done has been with the threat of technology behind it. I've I read, being in college when I was, it was probably the biggest opportunity because you've got in so much on the ground floor mm -hmm. and you're a dumb college kid. So you're thinking like, this is going to change everything. And, and trust me, when you're selling websites in 1996, you got to explain to people what it is. And they have yep. no idea what you're talking about. So <laughs> being that bright eyed, bushy tailed, dumb kid was not only did you learn a lot about business and how, how, how you, what you need to do to make it successful, but it was also a time to dream. And as this is happening, you're seeing the Amazons come on board. And I, I bought my first digital camera there 
not because I needed a digital camera, because I wanted to figure out this Amazon thing. This seems cool. And so it was a, it was a really interesting time. And, and it's funny, now we've gotten to a point where there are the Goliaths that are battling it out, and there are a lot of segments that are just aren't available. You're not going to knock off Google anytime soon or, or Amazon anytime soon. But you've got the Wild West that is esports mm-hmm. combined with something that is new and, and I think needed for those competitors to build long-term fan bases, relationships, and build their brand. And I see it as I'm almost back to when I was the young, dumb kid. It's, it's interesting because you've just completely touched on something I tell people all the time. When, when the naysayers come to me about esports and, and gaming, and they don't see it yet as what it is, right? Like it's here, it's like right now. And, and you and I are, I think we probably are the same age. So we were going through that college to career weirdness of growing up without the internet, without a phone in our hand, but then our entire adulthood has been the growth of technology all the way to where we are now. So having the ability, and and I worked for for Space 150, which is a, a digital agency. We were selling websites. That was like our bread and butter. And what was super funny is I would have a prospect call with somebody and they would say, we don't need one of those. We're in the white pages. <laughs> yes. Uh, right? Trust me. Yeah. And you're just like, well, this is the future. And you're so excited about working on something that's innovative. And that is the future, like predictability. And, and you and I are similar in being able to recognize what the gaps are and then put solutions for it. So to me, it's just completely natural that you would have this opportunity in front of you with this product. And, and know that esports is probably the best long-term application for it. Where I do believe like there's a ton of room for this in traditional sports. Like I wouldn't completely walk, not invest time and energy there because I think there is a lot of opportunity, but the scalability, especially when you think about yeah. streamer application, because this is something that a streamer can do they can if they can layer this into their Twitch page. If there's a if there's an integration within Twitch, it doesn't. You don't have to have a hundred things a year. You could just do it a couple of times, once a month or once every couple of months. You don't even have to be the biggest name. You don't have to be a ninja. You don't have to be Shroud. Like you can just be my. You could be my son. You could be Roman Davis and just have your own little stream. And you've got your own little subgroup of of friends and fans. And you could monetize that either, you know, for yourself or towards your favorite charity. And I think that the scalability aspect is what makes this such a huge thing. But it's so funny because you're literally sharing what you saw right out of college and that type of a potential. And that's where I was as well. And I think that it's because for me, and, and, and you can tell me if it's if if you think it's a driver for you too, being able to see that evolution and be a part of it, of that evolution early has made me a risk taker in my career now that I'm grown and a mom. Like I see opportunity and I want to go for it because they're, what an exciting time being in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands and watching those types of things take off. Like when Netflix was a subscription box that would come as CDs to your door. Right. And now it's, global, huge global brand. Yeah. So 
Yeah. Tell me a little bit about as that innovator mindset, what are the things you think really shaped your willingness and your drive to, to be a risk taker and to try new things? I, I think it really. I think everything you said is is pretty much my experience as well. If if I would have, if it would have happened two years later, and I would have had my first corporate job, I think the die would have been cast. I would have been on a path that I wouldn't have jumped into things. I wouldn't have done that. But but because I was doing my own thing, and, and I actually remember specifically in. About 2006, it was my first company that I started that I went for outside capital on. And it was a really difficult decision at the time because we had a good business. We had clients, we had Fortune 500s, we were building not just websites anymore, but back-end technology and things like that. And it was really hard, but I went, this is why I'm doing this. And, And I think, too, society as a whole has this path laid out for you, right? You study hard, you go to you get a, get a high school degree, you go to college, you get a college degree, maybe you go to some sort of, you know, post-secondary, you know, graduate program or you go into law or medicine and then you go work for a huge corporation and you start at the bottom rung and you try to climb up one at a time. And I was at a weird point where I was still dependent on those large corporations, but I was also able to see how averse to risk that they were when something seemed so obvious to me and mm-hmm. and, and I couldn't convince them at times and, and other things just flat out didn't make sense. I remember building and selling technology that the whole argument was, listen, you can build this app and it will do what you're doing in the physical world that costs you the same thing and you can use it a million times over. And the company that we did it for built the app, did one, it was a focus group kind of app. We built the app. It was hugely successful, better than anybody anticipated. And then they put it on the shelf and never used it again. So I was like, I guess it was good to sell it that way, but it uh, didn't really play out that way. And, And I just... I realized if I was going to really be at the forefront of this stuff and be able to just satisfy my own intellectual curiosity, I I had to be in the game. I had to be willing to take a risk and live or die by whether I was right or not and whether or not I could find the market and raise capital and all those things. So it's funny. I just think I... You learn so much by just throwing yourself in the middle. It's the old, the old parable of getting thrown in the middle of the lake. So you learn to swim. Yeah. Say yes and figure it that's out later. Right. Yeah, that's it. You just start paddling. You just start <laughs> crashing around, and then you go, okay, where's shore? That's that. I think that is a very good analogy for for being an entrepreneur, and, and it doesn't get easier. This is, you know, probably my sixth or seventh company that I've either founded or been involved in from the beginning. And every time you do it, you learn something new. And and esports is one of those things where I am a gamer. I I have watched it. I do enjoy it. In fact, I play Fortnite with my eight-year-old daughter and my lead engineer and his 10-year-old son, and, and we form a Fortnite squad. And it is like the highlight of our week. So I understand the impact it has on just social behavior and being able to stay connected with people. But learning the business side of it is a whole new piece that I'm learning very quickly. And then and to me, it's again, like not knowing that e-commerce was going to be what it is today. 
I feel like we've got the same thing. We've really got that opportunity right now and we're on the forefront of it. Tell me about some of those other startups that, that you've created. Are, are any of them still active? Are you still in, involved? Have you sold them off? Like, just I'd love to have a, an understanding of some of the other things that you've developed in the past. I think there's a common theme. All of it is thinking about things as a marketplace, thinking about how to bring a certain affinity group or interest area together. And some of them have, some of them have succeeded for a while and then either didn't hit that point where they were going to have an exit or long-term potential that I wanted to grind it out. And so, and I think it's part of that entrepreneurial life cycle too, is I, I at least know who I am. I, I know I love the startup. I love when we have to look around to figure out who's going to take out the garbage. That environment, I'm willing to dig in and I'll outwork anybody. And so I like being involved at that stage. And once it becomes a little bit more mature, I recognize that that's when the discipline and the sort of governance that goes with a larger company becomes advantageous. And so that's always been my driver. And in some cases, we've We've launched and we've been on a good trajectory, but we didn't hit cruising altitude, mm-hmm. which is really where you need to get to before you can hand it off to somebody else, or you can start to hire professional managers. Uh, some of them I have sold, and that's been very fortunate, and I've been lucky about that. And the one that I'm, I am still currently involved in that I really started from scratch is a company called Giver, G-I-V-V-O-R.com. And again, as we talk about nonprofits in this space, it is a platform that brings donors and nonprofits together. And really, the whole benefit is that oftentimes, especially, it's really not that different than the driving emotions behind Fanticipate, in that you're giving online, you're not connected to the cause that you're supporting or the people that are benefiting or the organization itself. And our system is different in that when you donate, it makes you part of a community. It allows you to see other people giving. So there's complete transparency around it, which is a a big problem in the nonprofit space. See Jeffrey Epstein Foundation, if you want. And it it solves a number of those problems. But the, the main thing that it is just connecting technology because it gets even worse when you talk about things like private foundations or donor advised funds, where now that donor is two, three, four levels away from really the outcome or the impact that they're trying to have. So it's still, it's a great project. It's doing really well, but it's a little bit more mature. And whether or not I should have said yes to anticipate when it was brought to me, I just, I could not. It was too intriguing for me to pass up on. I love that. Yeah. When you reached out to share what you were working on, just to catch me up uh, on life and what was happening with with this new startup, it got me excited. I, I feel like that call, we really discovered there's actual opportunity in gaming. There yeah. really is some huge opportunities in that space. And then bringing, bringing Wim into some conversations who Wim Stocks is uh, a real close friend of mine and the goat of the gaming industry to have a reassurance. Cause sometimes you just are like, you just got to want to, you want to run the concept by a couple people to, before you really yeah. dive in with both feet. So having conversations with him and then him based on his experiences, way more robust than mine in the space for him to start getting super excited. Everybody that I've talked to about this gets really excited. And yeah. that's where 
you know, you're onto something where it just becomes like, it doesn't feel it is work, but it doesn't feel like so much work because you just get that itch to bring something to fruition. For our listeners, if they want to learn more about Fanticipate, where do they go? Yeah, just uh, go to Fanticipate.com. And you have an app as well? We don't yet. It's in works. It actually got pushed back in the priority list because we're uh, targeting the Twitch app first. Okay. But it'll be available soon. Uh, I don't know if it'll be ready by the end of the year. We're with this event that's coming up. We're trying to trying to do that Twitch piece. And so that's been prioritized ahead of it. And then if somebody wants to reach out to you, you personally, how do they get in touch with you? I'm available on LinkedIn. So you can find me there. You can also reach me at alex at fanticipate.com and uh, any of the other methods. So I'm pretty good on LinkedIn, but sometimes it's better to email me. Yeah. LinkedIn's been just crazy. I'm finding just so much growth and success in business conversations. Maybe you should work with LinkedIn and help them figure out how to restruct, like really restructure and <laughs> advance their UI and UX. Unfortunately, that would mean I have to work with Microsoft. And so I don't think I have the patience for that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's right. No corporate for you. (laughs) This has been just an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing about Fanticipate and a little bit about your journey. It's so refreshing to talk to other people that really lean in on being disruptors and and solving problems that exist in the world and taking something that the original idea was in traditional sports and now moving it into an esports model is just so rad. I I love it. And I know for a fact that the deeper Fanticipate gets in esports, you're probably going to come up with three or four new business ventures uh, to fix and fill other gaps within the esports industry in the future. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what's ahead for you, Alex. And thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And, and I'll even extend it further. I, I, I think you said it perfectly. You see something that you intuitively think is a really good idea, but you've got to run it by a few people before you prove your own sanity. And I can tell you, you were... You, you and two others were people I reached out to immediately before I had even agreed to do it. And, and because of your reaction and the others, I went, okay, my intuition, I think is right. Awesome. Yeah. I'm grateful to be a small part of that journey for you. Great. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much. You too. Thank you.